Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson. And as always, so glad that you've decided to join us. Maybe you're joining us here live uh, at 10 a.m. in the morning on every Saturday, or maybe you're listening to the rebroadcast at 8 o'clock at night. Well, no matter when you're listening, it's always good that you are listening, because today we're going to... Uh, help prepare you, get you prepared for spring. There's some things that we don't need to do right away, but we might want to do in the upcoming weeks. Of course, a lot of these things are dependent upon the weather. And I've been stressing to you lately that we need to be watching the weather the best we can, of course. Meteorology is one of the few professions where you can be wrong so many times and still keep your job <laughs> so with that being said we are watching you know the law lo- the longer brought uh, longer forecast looking into a, uh, a month or two ahead because here we are the first weekend of february we've got about two months until we get to april but even april can bring some questionable questionable weather events. We could have a, a late frost, late freeze. It's possible. It's happened before, folks. Welcome to the South, right? So, the last I checked, the long term, we're looking at, you know, still some freezing nights. Maybe as low as the high 20s. Hopefully there's nothing like the 6 degrees that we had over Christmas. But we do need to be watching our immediate weather, too. Because what we're going to start to see are plants responding to the fairly nice and warm days that we have through February and March. And then if we do have a cold or freezing event, that can set some of those plants back. So our goal for the next couple of months is to not necessarily do anything to the plants that encourages them to grow. Things like fertilizing, pruning, giving extra water to plants. These are all things that might encourage plants to grow. And of course, given the opportunity, if they've got just the right weather condition, the the right 65, nearly 70 degree day we may have over the, you know, course of two or three days, if 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 they've given that and then we're adding fertilizer, pruning all these things, it may stimulate them to grow and yet we are not in the clear for cold wintry weather. So We're not trying to force or encourage these plants to grow because the colder temperatures that we surely will have until spring can just eliminate all of that new growth, cause it to die back 
and we've just encouraged more winter damage. And folks, we're going to have enough winter damage as it is because of those very low temperatures that we had over Christmas. So today we're going to talk about fertilizing. We're going to talk about nutrition for plants, feeding your plants. We're going to talk about the nutrient cycle, probably start off with that, because all of these things are important for us to understand the types of fertilizers that we have, the, the, the numbers on the bags, what do they mean? And you can take all of this inform- information today about feeding your plants and use it uh, as we get to the beginning of spring and all through the growing season. Looking to, uh, if you're looking to have plants respond in a certain way, you may use a certain type of fertilizer. Uh, if you need high amounts of one thing but not another, you may use a different kind of fertilizer. And so knowing how nutrition works, uh, both in the soil and uh, within the plant, is going to help you to make better choices when it comes to fertilizing and feeding your plants. Because, of course, you know, we're always concerned about burning our plants with fertilizer. We'll co- sort of dispel some myths there. And we're always concerned about, uh, you know, the soil health. How healthy is our soil? Are the things we're adding to our soil helping the soil to become more healthy or not? And so there's a lot of concerns when it comes to feeding and and fertilizing plants. And we just want to make sure uh, that we are making the best choices we can so that our plants are looking the best they can, producing the best they can, whether it be uh, a plant that's grown for foliage, we want great leaves. If it's a plant that we grow for flowers, we want great flowers. If we want a plant that's producing vegetables and fruits, we want great fruits. And so uh, what you supply your plant and what they have access to is greatly going to encourage uh, a healthy, productive plant in one of those areas or all of those areas. Of course, all plants need to have healthy leaves, whether they're producing flowers and fruits or just trying to produce a, a, a flower. We still want the plant to be generally overall healthy. Um, so if you missed last week's program, before we get into today's topic, I'll just uh, remind you that last week we talked all about uh, dealing with water in the landscape, sort of. Uh, if you have a wet soil, what kind of plants can you grow there? And how can you maybe uh, capture and harness uh, excess runoff water, things that uh, water that comes off of your roof, uh, comes off of your driveway or paved areas? How can you harness that water and allow it to slowly leach into the soil rather than just running in a drain pipe into somebody else's property, right? <laughs> so if you missed that program and you're interested in how uh capturing and harnessing water right in the landscape, not necessarily using a, um, uh, a cistern or a rain barrel, but actually letting your garden be a beautiful space that can hold and capture water and allow it to slowly percolate. We talked all about it last week. That was one of the questions that came across our inbox through our Q&A week. And so you can check that episode out online at NewSouthernGarden.com. And of course, you can find it on podcasting apps like the TuneIn app, your Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, all of those things. Uh, you can find last week's episode and every episode that we've ever had over the course of the past four going into our fifth year, I believe, if my math is right, Mr. Producer. Uh, so <laughs> with that being said, check us out online. And you can always send us a question, too, uh, at the website, NewSouthernGarden.com. You can also send us a question on Facebook and Instagram. Those are great ways to send us pictures and videos so we can actually see what plant you're dealing with or what specific problem. But if you don't have a problem in the landscape, you just want to show how beautiful things are going and how proud you are of your garden, 
be sure to send us those kinds of photos too. You know, we love to answer questions where something has gone wrong, but it is very encouraging to see some things uh, that have actually gone right. So be sure to uh, get social with us on Facebook and Instagram. So the first place we want to start to today when we talk about nutrients and fertilizers is really uh, the nutrient cycle. Okay, we're going to talk about a general nutrient cycle. So um, if you're not aware, uh, nutrition, things like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all of the things that plants need in order to grow and continue their life and be healthy, these nutrients cycle through our environment. Nitrogen in particular, uh, there's a lot of nitrogen in our atmosphere, in the air we breathe. As a matter of fact, most of the atmosphere, the air we breathe, has, compared to nitrogen, low amounts of oxygen. So there's a copious amount of nitrogen in the atmosphere. And then, of course, phosphorus and potassium. A lot of those things we pull out of minerals and rocks and we mine them out of the ground and turn them into fertilizer. Uh, that's sort of been the way we've done it since um, the 1940s, at least. And so these things are naturally occurring, right? The nitrogen, the phosphorus, potassium, we don't just make them up. Uh, they may formulate them in a lab to look a certain way so that a plant can respond to it faster or sooner. Uh, but regardless, all of these nutrients, we call them plant nutrients, they are in our natural world. And how we use them and how we apply them when we apply them, where we apply them, uh, can affect the way the cycle happens. So in a general form, nutrition moves between two different groups. The first group is like a biological form of these things, meaning that the nitrogen, the phosphorus, the potassium, it's all tied up in some biological form. So manure is a great way to uh, kind of get that as an example, to demonstrate this biological form. Manure itself is chock full of biological nitrogen, biological phosphorus, biological potassium. Then the other kind of um, form that these nutrients take is a chemical form. So the nitrogen is in a chemical form, the phosphorus is in a chemical form, the potassium is in a chemical form. And most of our commercial fertilizers, that's how the nitrogen is, is formulated, is in this chemical form. So when you throw the pellets out on the ground, uh, you're throwing out the chemical form of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, and those things. So in nature, these nutrients go between biological form and chemical form all of the time. And here's how it starts. Let's say we have a cow, and this cow is in a pasture full of grass. The cow is happy. He's eating all of the grass he possibly can. Now, the cow takes this grass, ingests it into its body, and that biological um, form of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium is now in his gut. And so bacteria, just like you and I have bacteria in our, in our digestive system, is breaking that down. And so that the... Um, the cow can use the chemical forms of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus and all that uh, to build its body. Well, then, of course, at some point, uh, the cow has got to go to the bathroom. And so he does what he does and leaves a, a manure patty. We called them cow patties when I was growing up. Uh, leaves this cow patty on the ground. So there's still a good bit of this biological form that came from the grass the cow ate. It's still tied up there. The trouble is plants 
cannot use biological nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Plants have to use the chemical form of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So as the bacteria that were in the gut, and maybe they're still hanging around in the cow patty now, um, and then there's other bacteria and fungus that are all around outside, good bacteria. They're called decomposers. And these decomposing bacteria and fungus, they're working on that cow patty, breaking it down even further. And then what the uh, bacteria excrete so I guess we could call it bacteria patties, <laughs> what the bacteria excrete is essentially now the chemical form. It's the chemical form of nitrogen and potassium and phosphorus and all those things. And once that chemical form is available in the, in the soil, then plants' roots can take it up. See, plants' roots really only take up the chemical form of these nutrients. And then, of course, that's when the plant gets to work. And the plant say the grass that is in that pasture. The grass is growing off of the chemical form of those nutrients that came from the cow patty. I really hate to say cow patty too many times in the show. I hope nobody's offended, but <laughs> regardless, now the plant, the grass plants are growing with those same nutrients that once were in the bacteria, that once were in the cow, that once was in the other grass plants. And you see that it's this nice cycle and this interchange, this interchange between biological forms of nitrogen and chemical forms of nitrogen. We really need those bacteria and fungus that are in the soil, the good ones, right? We're not talking about fungus that causes plant disease or bacteria that causes plant disease. We're talking about decomposers, decomposing bacteria, decomposing fungus that is working on all of the mulch we have laid down. There's a there's plenty of nutrition in mulch and compost and manure, and our plants cannot take it up until the bacteria and the fungus in particular uh, have done their job of decomposing the biological form of nitrogen into chemical forms of nitrogen. Then, of course, once the plant has the chemical form of nitrogen, it repackages it into a biological form. And, of course, that biological form is something that a human could eat. So, tomatoes. Or it's something that an animal could eat. Say, corn or grass. These things are highly nutritious. The plant material is highly nutritious because we as mammals and uh, animals, we can consume the biological forms and utilize it to build our bodies. But plants need the chemical form of these nutrients to grow their bodies. So it's a give and take. It's great to have chickens on hand or small animals because that manure is so enriched with things that the plants would need. It's the nutrient cycle. And we're going to talk more about that and the nutrients themselves that plants need when we get back from this break. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at newsoutherngarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. So, gang, before the break, we were talking about the nutrient cycle. How the nutrients that plants need in order to grow cycle through nature so that everybody who's alive on the planet is happy. Plants are happy. Animals are happy. Cows are happy. Humans are happy. (laughs) In other words, we are talking about um, how the manure and the compost that we collect from animals and, and of course other plants, how it can be utilized essentially as a fertilizer to feed your plants. And the basic summary of that is that nutrients that feed animals and plants alike, uh, the nutrients that all life needs is cycled between two different forms, a biological form of that nutrient, uh, which means it's tied up in cellular tissue and stuff like that. And then, of course, there is a chemical form of these nutrients that plants use at their roots, pull it in through their roots uh, to feed and to grow their, uh, their system. And so what essentially, to really summarize, is that Plants feed humans and animals, and humans and animals feed plants. So the uh, materials and the tissues uh, that plants create, uh, animals can eat, right? Even fungus and bacteria can eat it, consume it, and turn it into a chemical form that then the plants can use. It's a wonderful cycle, beautiful cycle that, of course, is helping all of life stay alive. Now, of course, all of these nutrients that you need and I need, but today we're talking about gardening, right? So plants need. All of these nutrients are naturally occurring. They're found here. And science has come a long way as far as um, helping us maybe increase the amount of nutrients. And I know there's some debate and and, um, some battles, of course, that are going on in politics and industries saying that certain things we're doing are harming the environment. And so you've got to take all of this information and discover what's best for you. Probably one of the biggest battles uh, when it comes to fertilizer is do we need organic fertilizer or is commercial fertilizer okay? And so this really, I always tell people when they say, what's better, organic or non-organic? And I say, well, it really comes down to you and what you uh, ethically, maybe, uh, geo, uh, I mean, ecologically, ethically, <laughs> environmentally, ethically, what you want to do. Um, there maybe are some drawbacks to both, but there are benefits to both. I take the approach that as long as we're using the material that we're fertilizing with appropriately, uh, so that we're not intentionally harming the environment, that we're being conscientious about how much fertilizer we're adding, um, I think that if we are responsible with all of these decisions, that as long as the plant has what it needs, it is uh, very, it's, it's, it's good. It's good for our purposes. So with that being said, I need to reiterate the point because we're about to talk about organic fertilizers and how they work. And then we'll talk about more of the, I hate to use the word chemical fertilizer, but it essentially is the chemical form of the nutrient. All right. So before we uh, do that, I, I do want to reiterate or maybe make clear that plants don't 
necessarily care if you're applying an organic fertilizer or if you're applying uh, a commercial fertilizer. They don't necessarily care where their nutrition comes from because to them, a molecule of nitrogen is a molecule of nitrogen or a molecule of phosphorus is a molecule of phosphorus no matter where it came from. So, of course, they don't care. But the other thing that's critical to keep in consideration when we're talking about the difference in organic fertilizer and chemical fertilizer or commercial fertilizer is that it is the chemical form of the nutrition in that cycle we talked about. It is the chemical form of that nutrient that the plants are going to utilize. So, Let's talk about organic fertilizer, and let's start by transitioning from that statement. When we're using organic fertilizers, we are mainly applying the biological forms of these nutrients. These nutrients are still captured in cells. They've got to be processed by bacteria and fungus. And it's only after the bacteria and fungus have done their job, and they've excreted, essentially, the chemical form of nitrogen, of phosphorus, of potassium. That's when the plant gets to use it. So when we talk about using organic fertilizers, one of the first things, you could look at it as a drawback, maybe. Uh, You could look at it as maybe a benefit. When you first apply a fertilizer, an organic fertilizer, it is not necessarily readily available for the plant to use. It's going to have to go through some breaking down time. So uh, let's just throw a number out there. Maybe you apply it on April 1st. Well, don't expect the plants to receive that, that organic fertilizer on April 1st. They will receive it maybe April 15th, maybe a couple of weeks later. Depending on how healthy your soil is, how much bacteria and fungus you have that are helping break down that biological fertilizer, turning it into a chemical fertilizer, there is a bit of a delay, of a lag. Now, in my opinion, um, if you need something to happen quickly, organic fertilizer may not be the first choice. But if if you are slowly building your soil, right, if you are okay with not needing a high dose of something that works fast, then it's okay to use these fertilizers regularly, maybe throughout the year, just to keep the soil healthy. Then, of course, by with that being said, the Organic fertilizers are going to be um, slow release. They're naturally slow release because the plants can only access that organic fertilizer as the bacteria and fungus are releasing the chemical form of it. So naturally, all organic fertilizers are a slow release fertilizer. We're going to talk more about slow-release fertilizers. We really do encourage slow-release fertilizers because uh, if a plant is growing, uh, very plant needs to be growing all summer, then they need to have access to what they need all summer long. And so a product that slowly breaks down and releases its fertility is a good choice. So that is, those are maybe some drawbacks, but I think you could turn them and say they're benefits to organic fertilizers. Um, Again, they don't work quickly. And they are a slow release. So sort of some benefits, but maybe for certain applications, they're not the best choice. With that being said, or let's have some examples of organic fertilizers. Of course, there's different companies that are bagging this stuff and selling it to you. But most organic fertilizers include some kind of compost or manure, um, composted chicken manure, right? Uh, They may have certain, we call them um, 
uh, mills, basically. So like feather mill, bone mill, cottonseed mill. Sometimes you see alfalfa uh, mixed in there. And so all of these things are coming from a source that was either once, that, well, basically was once lit alive. So the cotton seed was once alive. The composted chicken manure used to be feed and grain and grass and bugs, whatever the chicken ate. It used to be alive. So keep that in mind that the source for all organics comes from something that is dead, something that once was alive. And now we're using the benefits of the decomposition of this biology to feed our plants. So that's where it comes from. Now, what you'll notice when you look on a bag of organic fertilizer is you will see, uh, well, let me back up. When you look on a bag of any fertilizer, you will see probably right there on the front, it should be on the front, maybe the side panel or the back panel, uh, you should see three numbers separated by two hyphens. So number, hyphen, number, hyphen, number. Now that is what we call a fertilizer ratio. And it essentially, those numbers tell you what percentage of that bag makes up a certain chemical. Now this is the same, um, or certain nutrient. So this is the same for organic fertilizers and non-organic fertilizers alike. Uh, the first number in that ratio of, of three digits is, represents the percentage of nitrogen. The second number represents the percentage of phosphorus. And the third number represents the percentage of uh, potassium. Now, these are what we call macronutrients. Macronutrients are nutrients that plants need a lot of. Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. The other macronutrients, they already get naturally from water, hydrogen, oxygen, and of course from the air, carbon. So, those are basically the macronutrients, the, the, the kinds of nutrients that plants need in large proportions. When we get back, though, we got to take a break. We're going to talk about the micronutrients or nutrients that plants need in small amounts. So hang on tight. We'll be right back. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, gang, welcome back to the second half of today's program. Already we've been talking about uh, the nutrient cycle. So, of course, you and I need nutrients to live, to grow, to continue being alive. And plants do, too. And, of course, the things that uh, plants need and we need are very much alike, and we cycle them. Animals will use these nutrients for a while, and then plants will use them for a while, and then return uh, back into the animals. It goes back and forth. It's a beautiful cycle, wonderful cycle. But then we were talking about the differences between organic fertilizers and commercial fertilizers. Uh, we were talking about the uh, fact that organic fertilizers aren't quick to work. They need some time to break down because they're tied up. The nutrient is tied up in a biological form. And so if you apply an organic fertilizer, don't expect the plant to have access to it for some time could vary depending on what product is actually uh, in that fertilizer but 
Because of that fact, organic fertilizers are great slow-release fertilizers. They're slowly breaking down, slowly releasing the nutrients to the plants as they need them. That's a big benefit. And we were talking about the numbers on these fertilizer bags. You know, you see three digits that are separated by two hyphens. The first number on a fertilizer ratio is going to be the percentage of nitrogen in the bag. The second number is going to relate to the percentage of phosphorus in the product. And then lastly, the last digit is the percentage of potassium. So these are the macronutrients that plants need a lot of. That's why we indicate on bags uh, very clearly. And there's actually laws that say you've got to tell people how much of these items, how much of these nutrition, much of these nutrients are in that product. And so that's one key indicator for us because those three numbers do all kinds of different things that we'll talk about in a minute. But the reality with organic fertilizers is that those three numbers, that uh, fertilizer ratio, organic products are not highly concentrated with these uh, nutrients. So that's another maybe drawback to some degree. But it could be a benefit in some cases where organic products, organic fertilizers do not carry as high of a concentration uh, as commercial fertilizers do of these nutrients. So in other words, you know, let's start with a commercial fertilizer. We're going to have an example. Uh, my grandfather loved 10, 10, 10 for his garden, and I still use it today because he did. But 10, 10, 10 is this well-balanced fertilizer. It's got 10% nitrogen, 10% phosphorus, and 10% potassium. That's its ratio. And of course, being a commercial fertilizer, it's ready to work. You put it on the ground, it gets wet, and the plants have access to it. It's very fast acting. But with many of our organic fertilizers, you're not even going to see tens, not much of the time. There's a few, few exceptions. But in most cases, you'll see a number maybe as high as six. And then you'll see a lot of twos and a lot of threes, maybe a lot of fours or fives. But the reality is, is that if you're looking for a certain concentration or a certain rate of nitrogen to be applied, you will need more organic fertilizer to satisfy that rate than you would a higher ratio commercial fertilizer. So that is in some degree a bit of a drawback in that we need more and copious amounts of organic fertilizer than we do commercial fertilizer. But be sure before you start purchasing fertilizer for the spring, be sure you're looking at the ratios and to see if the amount that is in that product is enough for your purpose. So let's transition, talk about commercial fertilizers a bit. We've already said, and may, well, let's just talk about them by comparing them to the organic. We've already said that organic fertilizers, of course, uh, they don't work as fast. They don't get started. You don't, can't just apply it on the ground and the um, uh, plants have access to it. Well, with commercial fertilizers, most of these fertilizers, the nutrients in the bag are in the chemical form already. Okay, when we apply organic fertilizers, we're laying down biological forms of nutrition. But when we lay down commercial fertilizers, for the most part, they are going to be in a chemical form. That's why commercial fertilizers are more active 
or rather more readily available, we say, to plants, because we don't have to have that period of breaking it, breaking the fertilizer down into a chemical form. It's already in a chemical form. So for the most part, a commercial fertilizer that's, uh, they're basically salt-based, the kind of nitrogen that's in there, the kind of phosphor that's, phosphorus that's in there, the kind of potassium that's in there, is formulated in such a way that a chemist would call a salt. And so that is readily available for plants' usage. Now, with that being said, uh, most commercial fertilizers don't last very long. Because the soil can't necessarily hold on to certain nutrients for a given period of time, particularly nitrogen. The soil does not do a very good job of holding on to nitrogen. And so if you use 10-10-10 like my granddaddy did, you know, he had to reapply pretty regularly. Every two weeks, maybe every four weeks, just whatever it seemed like. Um, because the nitrogen in particular has already been depleted. It's already leached. It's already washed away if the plant couldn't use it. So you don't really get the soil being a store bank for nitrogen. Now, it can be a bank. It can hold on to phosphorus and potassium and, and other things. But that is sort of a drawback of, a chemical, of, of the chemical forms of these nutrients, a commercial fertilizer, is that when you apply it, the plant better use it or it's going to lose it. And you've got to reapply. Well, maybe in the past couple of decades or longer, uh, yeah, probably longer, uh, Science has come a long way, and they have found certain um, formulations. So in other words, they can formulate these commercial fertilizers, which are salt-based, readily available, but they can formulate them to where they break down slowly over the course of time. So in some cases, the fertilizer is pelletized with a coating, and the coating, uh, based on moisture, temperature, and usually ultraviolet light from the sun, that coating starts to degrade and little tiny microscopic holes are formed and the fertilizer uh, sort of slowly leaches out of those tiny holes until, of course, the coating is gone and the product is uh, essentially gone through its usage. Now, in, in some cases, the way they're formulated themselves break down slowly. The pellets themselves break down slowly without a coating. But this has been fairly revolutionary for commercial fertilizers because we used to have to reapply, reapply, reapply. Well, now there are some uh, fertilizers that you name it, it'll last as long <laughs> as you want it to. The, the, longer the, the longer the release time, the more expensive the fertilizer is, which makes sense because if you don't need as much of it over the course of a year, you'll probably pay more for it. Um, so with that being said, like at the nursery, we do have a commercial fertilizer that we use on many crops. Uh, it's a 12-6-8, 12% nitrogen, 6% phosphorus, and um, 8% potassium. But it slowly breaks down and releases nutrients to the plant for 90 days. Now that's nearly, uh, nearly half of our growing season. So you could apply a 90-day slow-release fertilizer in April. And then July, apply it again, and maybe one more time at the end of summer, uh, Labor Day or so, just to get the plant through uh, fall. You only apply three times. My granddaddy, of course, with his 10-10-10, he was applying all the time, trying to keep the plants fertilized. So, of course, these are some drawbacks and some benefits now to commercial fertilizers. Uh, one note that we should make is that... Um, there's some research, there's some studies being done, there's some debates going on that uh, because commercial fertilizers are in that chemical form or the salt form, that 
the fact that we're applying salt to the soil may, in fact, uh, cause damage to bacteria and fungus. Um, trying to encourage a bacteria or fungus to live in a salty solution is not necessarily viable. And so you do probably want to do some more research on your own to make sure that if you're worried about some of these things, that you are making the appropriate choices when it comes to fertilizer. With that being said, we should probably talk about over-fertilizing. Can you over-fertilize plants? Can you cause them to uh, have burns and whatnot? And when we look at organic fertilizers, it's essentially, it's essentially not a question if you're over-fertilizing. Because this is, again, a biological form of nitrogen. It's just like leaves falling from uh, the, the trees in the fall. They're putting down, essentially, a layer of potential fertilizer. Because those leaves will break down, bacteria will release the nutrients, and the tree can use it again. It's a nice cycle. When it comes to commercial fertilizers, um, one of the biggest concerns is uh, burning your plants. And so... What we actually see is as long as those fertilizer pellets, as long as they hit the soil, uh, it doesn't burn the plant, all right? It would be hard, even with commercial fertilizers, to over-fertilize and burn plants. Now, you'd have to uh, sort of make an error by dumping an entire bag <laughs> of a fertilizer uh, around a plant. Um, I mean, if you were to dump a bag of fertilizer in your front lawn in one spot, you will kill everything kind of in that immediate area, that's for sure, because you are over-salting the earth with those uh, pellets. But with that being said, if you're applying responsibly, you can take it to an extreme. You could apply uh, pounds of fertilizer for one large tree and not cause uh, any damage. Fertilizer burn does happen when these, these nutrition, this nutrition in particularly salt form, is allowed to rest on the foliage or green stems of a plant. So if you go out and fertilize your shrubs on a dewy morning or right after a rain, the leaves are wet, and they're very responsive to holding those pellets onto their leaves. And so if you throw fertilizer over the top of a plant and scattering it down to the uh, falling onto their foliage, if those pellets are allowed to remain on the plant, they can very well burn your, your, burn your plant. But burning doesn't really happen at the soil level. It happens on the foliar level, on the leaf level, if you will. So as long as we're being responsible and we are putting down fertilizer around the root system of our plant, on top of the mulch, below the mulch, on top of the ground, top of the soil, as long as it's resting on the soil, then you won't have that fertilizer burn. So... But burning, again, is always a concern. It, it's, it is easy to burn, burn a lawn uh, because, of course, on a dewy day, you can spread a pellet or a liquid feed, um, and you can uh, keep a lot of that nutrition on the foliage, and then it will get burned. Uh, so I guess the point is, if you're fertilizing a lawn, don't do it on a wet day or on a dewy day. Make sure that's dry, and those pellets can fall to the ground. And even if the leaves are dry when you first start fertilizing anything, you can sort of rinse the leaves off to make sure no pellets um, are resting on the foliage. So the main differences, of course, between organic fertilizers and um, commercial fertilizers are sort of, uh, sort of like give and take. Organic fertilizers don't work as fast. Most commercial fertilizers work very quickly. Organic fertilizers uh, break down slowly. 
where most commercial fertilizers are readily available. Uh, but there are some slow-release commercial fertilizers out there now. And then, of course, the amount of nutrition in a product of organic fertilizer is relatively low. The ratios are lower than the commercial fertilizers. They tend to have higher uh, ratios. So I guess the last thing might be what we just ended on is because commercial fertilizers are salt-based, chemical-based, uh, you may have a problem with soil microorganisms, whereas biological forms, you're just feeding them. So organic matter, to some degree, helps to feed the soil, whereas uh, commercial fertilizers, they help to feed really just the plant. Uh, but with all that being said, we've got a lot more to talk about on how to apply and maybe some specific products when we get back from this break. Hey gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the new Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. <laughs> at Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together. All right, gang, well, we've got still so much to do in so little time, so I'm going to try to not be so long-winded. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the differences between organic fertilizers and commercial fertilizers, the benefits, the pros, the cons of each. And uh, we were talking about the, the nutrient ratio on fertilizer bags. I think we're going to have to end the show with this bit of information because I do want, I do want you to know that as you start purchasing, buying fertilizers, what to look for uh, as far as certain numbers go. Because those numbers are critical uh, in a way. And I'll give you a, a way to remember what those numbers do for a plant. That's super easy. So the first number on the bag, again, is nitrogen. We did talk about that. That first number on the, the uh, uh, ratio is nitrogen. And nitrogen is critical to a plant. They use a lot of nitrogen because nitrogen really helps to uh, fuel and stimulate and produce uh, foliage and stems. Anything above the ground uh, you can expect is going to need copious amounts of nitrogen. And so... Uh, with that being said, if you want a plant to look healthy, right? If you want a plant to have plenty of leaves, remember the more leaves a plant has, the more energy it can capture from the sun. So don't ever skimp on nitrogen. Even uh, plants that people say, oh, don't give it too much nitrogen because you want, say, tomatoes. You know, you don't want to over fertilize plants, uh, tomato plants with nitrogen or you won't have tomatoes. Well, you can't have tomatoes if you don't have foliage. So you got to have a balance there. So that's particularly what nitrogen does. Now, phosphorus tends to uh, do a lot of things with the root system. So anything that's below the ground, anything a downward growth, root system, um, phosphorus plays a critical role in that. And then lastly, the last number on a ratio, 
fertilizer ratio is going to be potassium. And potassium, it, it, it does a lot. It kind of keeps the health, the health of the plant uh, just all around, uh, encouraging growth. But it does help to produce uh, flowers. It does help with the root system. And so it, can, it plays a key critical role. Not any one of these is more important than the other. But when you walk into the store and, or garden center and you're looking at fertilizer and you're going to say, I remember listening to Nathan's program and he said nitrogen does something and phosphorus does something else and potassium does something else. Well, an easy way to remember when you get into the store um, is that nitrogen is up. Anything in the sky, any foliage or stems, that's up. Then phosphorus, the next number, is down, right? So anything below the ground, roots, root development, root growth. And then the last number, potassium, is going to remind you of all around, just all around health and maybe flowering. So we've got up, down, and all around. Those are the three digits on your fertilizer bag. So when you walk into the uh, store or the garden center, and you say, hey, I really need to uh, encourage my plants to grow. Let's say this spring is coming up and you've noticed that a lot of your gardenias and your maybe ligustrums, I've seen uh, loripedlum and tea olive, some of these plants suffer dramatically with uh, leaf loss. Some of these evergreen plants, they've, they're their leaves are brown. They're falling to the ground. So we may need to fertilize those plants in the spring with higher nitrogen. So we need the higher nitrogen fertilizer. That's the up, right? But then if you say, well, I've just recently installed a plant. I'm going to dig in some new shrubs. I want their root system to really get going. I'm going to try to give them uh, more, uh, more phosphorus. That's the down, right? So up, down, all around. Depending on what it is you want that plant, what you want to get out of that plant or what you want the plant to do is going to help dictate what level or what number of each nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, what number should be higher or lesser than others? For general purposes, I like what we call a well-balanced, slow-release fertilizer. It's basically the one I talked about that we use at the nursery. Um, it lasts for 90 days, so it's slow-release, but it's well-balanced because it's a 12-6-8. It has everything in there that you need. An unbalanced fertilizer would have a zero, Okay, so uh, if you are looking for lawn fertilizer, uh, a lot of times a lawn fertilizer has 20%, 30%, 40% nitrogen, and then zero phosphorus, zero potassium. That's not necessarily a good fertilizer to use on your hydrangeas, okay? Because, of course, we still want our hydrangeas to produce leaves, but not 40%, right? <laughs> so a 12-6-8 is a good... Becoming our standard at the nursery uh, because it's well balanced and it does last for 90 days. Now, um, what you want to start to look for uh, as we go into the summer, right? That may be first spring, first of spring. We want to make sure we're getting a lot of leaf growth. But as we go into the summer, uh, plants do start to change, all right? Plants start to change once we pass the peak of summer and definitely as we go into fall. Plants are going to not put out as much leaves. So no matter how much nitrogen you give them in the summer, they just may not put out a lot of foliage because they're really starting to store nutrition in their root system. Well, after all, by the time we get to fall, they're going to sleep. And so they're storing 
everything in the root system. So that's probably a good time to have a lower nitrogen fertilizer, but maybe a higher phosphorus and potassium. Now, with that being said, the question is, what about those fertilizers that you buy in the garden centers and uh, box stores, wherever you go, uh, feed stores, that they have, you know, this is a rose fertilizer, and this is a citrus fertilizer, and this is a hydrangea fertilizer, and this is a holly fertilizer. Folks, I'm going to tell you that most of that is just marketing, okay? It doesn't mean, I'm sure that is a great product for tomatoes, right? If it says tomatoes, it's great for tomatoes. If it says roses, it's great for roses. But remember that the stuff that's in that bag, that's marked tomato, is still the same stuff that other plants may need. So a tomato tone, for instance, uh, is a fine formulation for many vegetable plants and also flowering plants, uh, ornamentals. So don't get caught up in the marketing side of these products when you go into the store. Look at those ratios and see also what micronutrients are in there. We didn't have time to talk about the micronutrients. The macros are those three, the big three that's on the bag, but micros will be listed probably on the back of the bag or the side panel in smaller amounts uh, and in smaller writing. Uh, they don't make it too obvious. But regardless, make sure that what's in there... Uh, is going to be great for any other plant. Um, if you start collecting fertilizers because it has a certain um, brand on it, say roses or tomatoes, or you're going to have a lot of fertilizer bags in the garage that could be used in almost any plant. Now, the one case where a, a bag of fertilizer is not essentially the same is maybe hydrangea fertilizers or um, holly fertilizers, like the holly tone, for instance. The holly tone does have sort of a soil acidifying aspect to it. And so that actually changes the pH of the soil. Um, it is not necessarily uh, going to uh, be a fertilizer, but it's going to change the pH of the soil so that it keeps your hydrangeas blue or it keeps your blueberries in an acidic soil. Well, you don't necessarily want to use those types of products on every single plant in the landscape. Not every plant needs to be uh, in an acidic soil. So next week we may talk more about fertilizer, but we do have some more things we'll talk about as we get closer to spring to prep you and get you ready for doing things uh, to get your plants a good start. So for WRWH 93.9 FM, my name is Nathan Wilson. I hope that you stay well and grow well. Give it a go. We'll see you next week. Give it a go. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 